0: Well, why don't we read from the Bible? We're going to read from Hebrews and chapter 6. You can be turning there or turning on to there. And Mandy's going to read for us.
1: Morning, everybody. We're going to be reading from Hebrews as we continue our series uh, looking at the book of Hebrews this morning. So it's Hebrews chapter 6 and we're going to start at verse 4. For it is impossible... and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises.
0: And everyone else, we're going to be turning in the book of Hebrews to look at Hebrews and chapter 6. Why don't you open that together? Father, would you give us insight from your word. Thank you for these words recorded for our sake. Would you teach your your people? Would you help us to see wonderful things here? Would you speak through me? Would you help us all to understand? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the image this week was really, really shocking, if you saw it. Did you see the foreign minister from the Pacific island of Toulavu, or Tuvalu, sorry? And he was dressed in his best suit, but there he was, standing knee-deep in seawater as he spoke a video message to the conference in Scotland, COP26. Did you catch that? There he was, knee-deep, he'd rolled his trousers up, And there he was, quite shocking. Well, his point was that rising sea levels are threatening his people's very existence. Well, that's the power of a negative example for us, isn't it? That's the power of a negative example showing us how things could go. And the writer of the Hebrews, he's metaphorically speaking, rolling up his trouser legs and walking out into the rising sea water to record a stark warning to Christians. If you were here last week, and if you listened to the message, you'll have heard about apostasy, what he's been saying. And he started confronting them in chapter 5, verse 11. Look back. And he continues now with perhaps the severest warning on the pages of the New Testament. Basically, it's this. It's a stark warning about the genuineness of, Of those who say they follow Christ. And so the question for you and me how genuine is your faith in Christ? How genuine is your faith in Christ? Well, the text comes in two halves. Here's the first half, and it's a stark warning for those who look like Christians, verses 4 to 8 of chapter 6. A stark warning. those who look like Christians. Now, to get the full force of this warning, let's read the warning itself. It starts in verse 4, have a look at it, and then proceeds with five statements before the end of that warning in in verse 6. Okay, so it starts in in verse 4, then there are five statements in between, and then that warning sort of comes to a, a, a head in the middle of of verse six. Now those statements that come in the middle part could be summed up like this. It could be summed up as those who look like Christians or those who appear to be Christians. Have a look at it with me. So start at verse four, for it is impossible in the case of those who appear to be Christians, there's the summary of those statements, and then look at the start of verse six, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. So do you see that? So verse four in the original starts with that word impossible. And have a look at it. It is impossible in the case of those who appear to be Christians and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Impossible. And by putting that word first in the original, there's a real emphasis on on it being impossible. So what's he saying, this writer? He's saying it's impossible for those who appear to be Christians and then have fallen away, that's a reference to rejecting Christ, as we'll see, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. In other words, some people can look like Christians, but in the end, if they fall away and reject Christ, Were they really Christians in the first place? Now the severity of the warning from the writer is that he's saying here it's impossible for those rejectors of Christ to ever come back to restore them again to repentance. Isn't that very serious? A really serious warning. And as we let it sink in, we're going to look now at those phrases in between that the writer uses to describe such people. Have a look. So... Verse 4 started with For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. So this, these five descriptions that we've just read in these verses are how these people are described. And what do they tell us, those five statements? Well, it says that they looked like Christians. The descriptions are, are, now they're a bit hard to nail down in one sense, but together they give us an impression of people who, who really seemed to be genuine Christian believers. And the writer of the Hebrews has often used Old Testament examples, hasn't he? If you remember back in chapters three and four, he used this Old Testament example of the people in the wilderness, the people who were brought out of Egypt but never entered the promised land. Well, here too, he might be referring to God's people after the Exodus. Um, After the Exodus from Egypt, they were in the wilderness, as we know from the Old Testament, and they'd been enlightened. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Do you remember the fiery pillar, the column of fire that led them? They'd been enlightened, and tasted the heavenly gift. Perhaps that's a reference to the manna that God gave them in the wilderness. Tasted the goodness of the word of God as God used his servant Moses, powers of the age to come. They'd seen some extraordinary things. Some Christians, like the people in the wilderness, were right in the thick of it with God. Right in the thick of what God was doing among his people. His rescue of them. And still they walked away from it all. For it is impossible in the case of those who appear to be Christians and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Stark. Serious. Well, why is it impossible? Well, verse six doesn't stop, does it? it? It continues. Look at the middle of verse six. Since, because these fallen ones Well, they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. The tone is so serious here, isn't it? And there's now a switch to something else. There's a switch to the present tense in what's being described here in this verse. The writer explains, you see, it's impossible since these fallen ones are now doing two things. A, they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and B, holding him up to contempt. That's why it's impossible because of what they're doing to Christ. That is, they're bringing down public ridicule. In other words, these fallen away ones are utterly rejecting Christ and by walking away and rejecting him, it's like they're at the same time walking somewhere else. Where are they off to? Well, they're out just beyond the city to the foot of three wooden crosses and shouting up at the Lord Jesus Christ with the same mockery Christ faced from those bystanders as he died. It's really stark, isn't it? They're walking to the foot of the cross and they're jeering him too. I told you this was severe. And instead of, as one of the songs we sing puts it, Instead of standing at the cross, finding forgiveness at the cross. Well, these fallen away ones, in rejecting Christ, are finding, look at that little phrase. What are they finding? Their own harm. As they mock the Lord with everyone else around them. Apostasy. Remember we looked at it last week? I've spelled it right this week. Apostasy, as well as what our definition describes, and you can look at this definition on the screen apostasy is not just rejecting christ but then at one and the same time holding him up the writer of the hebrews says god's word says holding christ up to public ridicule well to hammer the point home verses seven and eight give us a farming picture to illustrate just what apostasy is like have a look at seven and eight For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, very often if you're in Ireland, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless land and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. See what's happening here? People who have apparently experienced and tasted and shared and all that the Lord has given them, verses 4 to 6, remember all those descriptions, tasted and shared, well, they're like land that drinks in the life-giving rain and ends up sprouting not a good crop, but thorns and thistles And so in the end, that land, despite all the rain falling on it, it's bad land, it's useless, it's unfruitful, it's frustrating for the farmer. Instead of wandering out into the deep sea water, do you know what this writer of the Hebrews is probably doing? Maybe he's recording his message of warning from wasteland. Land that should be abundant, should be flowing with ripe produce, But instead, the land all around him, as he writes to these Christians, well, it's black and it's scorched. There's piles of thorns here and thistles everywhere. And the writer can hardly get the words out for the choking smoke that's enveloped him. But from here, this sad, burning land, he gives his stark warning. It really is a negative example meant to shock Christians, isn't it? And it should shock us too. Look around the church, and I'm not talking about the building, look around at us. The church the Lord is building here. People from all walks of life, all ages, all backgrounds, hearing the gospel as we are, week on week, month on month, year on year, and urging each other as we meet to switch up a gear in terms of our commitment to Christ. And as you do that, Do it before you stall mid-flight and start to come down. As you sit under God's word and hear his refreshing gospel, week after week, God's amazing grace and mercy, it's, it's like the writer to the Hebrews is saying, will you commit to Christ? Will you be willing, Black Rock, to tell those who you know well and love to bits, I'm a follower of Christ. I've decided to follow him right to the end. I know that some of our teenagers this week sent text messages to friends to say that, to say that they'd follow Christ, or to say that God isn't dead, he's alive. Well, the rain of the gospel is falling, isn't it? It's falling on us, on this land, watering us, nourishing us. But will we be the land that produces a crop, or will we end up useless? Yeah, I honestly believe that the call to commitment from God's word is gonna mean less and less time spent on my own life, my own hopes, my own dreams, and more time shifting up the gears of commitment to the Lord's call for us to stand from here in Dublin. Think about those hopes and dreams that are so close to you and to my heart, the things I work hard for, the things I put my energy into, well, you know what? We need to spend more time and energy thinking about what the Lord's call in our lives is. Less hours, less days spent on living for life's enjoyment and instead taking this Holy Spirit-prompted new appetite to take a few of those hours, some of the resources the Lord has given us and serve the teens and elevate or play the music or make the coffee. The alternative may be the good rain falling and falling and some of us tragically stalling in second gear doing something we had never thought possible when we started following Christ marching up to the cross and rejecting Jesus and the warning here is designed to get us all thinking about how genuine our faith really is it's designed to help us then persevere by urging us to stel, stay well away from apostasy. A stark warning to those who look like Christians. Well, that was the first half. The second half, when we'll, we'll be very brief here, but there's a bit of encouragement. Oh, you can sigh now. There is a bit of encouragement coming in verse 9 to those who are keeping going as Christians. And, and there's something happens here with the writer. Um, have a look at it, Verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. It's really quite an abrupt change, isn't it, from describing at a distance those who have fallen away. He's marking a real distinction between them and the recipients of this letter. He calls them beloved, dear friends, verse 9. And it seems, and that's the only time he uses that little phrase, beloved, dear friends. Only time he addresses them like that in this letter. And it's right at this heart of this change here, having given them this stern warning. He now wants to encourage them. You see, it seems like the writer has a confidence about these beloved, these dear friends. Confidence, and look at that little phrase, about better things that belong to salvation. Well, the reasons for his confidence come in the next verse. Look at verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. In other words, he's encouraging them that their faith is being lived out. A word of encouragement. They are showing their love. They're showing it to God and each other. Their commitment to him. How? Well, verse 10 says by, look at that little word, serving Serving the saints, serving each other. Chief pastoral officer to the Hebrews, he's kind of saying this. He says, don't cut in half your ministry contacts this week. Don't cut in half the things that you're going to do for the Lord and his people. No, no, double them up. Do them more and more just as you've been doing. That's what this chief pastoral officer to the Hebrews is saying, "And see your love for God's name and the Lord Jesus Christ will make this more a feature of your life. Make it more, not less, and let your love for Christ show. Let it show, not let it snow. Sorry in case you picked me up wrong. That's next month. Let it show. Let it show your confidence, your love for Christ. Next gear. Now, as well as part of the encouragement he's given to these Christians, there's two instructions in verses 11 to 12, just as we finish. See if you can pick them out. Okay, two instructions in verses 11 and 12. You're looking for two instructions. As we desire, this is verse 11, as we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Did you see the two instructions? Show the same earnestness. There's the first one. Show the same earnestness. And secondly, verse 12, don't be sluggish. Don't be lazy. In other words, ramp up your eager, meaningful commitment to the Lord and His people, Um, The same earnestness will help you change up the gears so that the engine doesn't start to miss and miss and miss, sluggish, like our poor car this past week. Will it get up the hill? Missing. No, no, he said, don't be sluggish. Have the same earnestness. Keep going. Change up the gears. Well, we've seen today a negative example from the wasteland of the burnt out scorched landscape of purely frightening apostasy but then that warm encouraging word to keep going will you black rock will you keep going how genuine is your faith in the lord jesus christ And think of the difference it's going to make among us as the Lord gathers His people here. What a wonderful sense of the Lord gathering people for His work. We have sensed it these past months and years. And what difference it'll make if each one of us, we change up a gear in our commitment. Because it does a couple of things. It simultaneously ramps up our assurance of hope. Do You see that in these verses? Verse 11 And somehow steers us clear of that road to apostasy. But there's something else too. It wonderfully shouts that salvation of Jesus Christ to each other and everyone we know. That's what it's going to do as we ramp up. Well, I'm going to pray for us all as a church. Why don't you stand? And the musicians are going to lead us in just a moment. But why don't we all stand and allow me to pray as we ask God for this, that he would help us Father God, we stand before you as a church, as people who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who are already showing his love to each other and to the world. Father, would you help us to keep going in our earnestness, to keep serving each other, and not to have our our earnestness, but to double it, and not to be sluggish, not to stall halfway through that gear change, but instead help us all as we step up commitment, which might mean serving, which might mean encouraging someone, which might mean getting more involved, growing in our faith as individuals, as group. Father, help us to do that, to pay more close attention. Father, in years to come, would there not be a wasteland here, scorched, black, useless earth, but instead a full harvest for your kingdom here in South County Dublin for the sake of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Use me, use each of my brothers and sisters as we stand here today. Use us all for your name's sake. Amen.